Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. So any, any charcuterie people in the room today? Come on. Hey, listen, anybody not a charcuterie person in this room today? You ha okay, here's the deal. You just haven't tried one, really, really. Like not a good one, not a good one. So I, I went to this, this restaurant and look, 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 they created me like the most beautiful display. I couldn't even do that, but it was just beautiful. And for those of you who are charcuterie people, like you're going to look at this the whole time and one of y'all can come take it if you're like a real fanatic. But I went to this like super fancy restaurant one time and I'd never even heard of a charcuterie. I'm like, I'm like, I'm the person reading like, what is this word? Sh shark something, you know? And I go and the guy is, they have this person that comes over to the table and they tell you what kind of cheese and this pairs with this and this wine goes with this cheese and this cheese goes with this honey and this honey goes with this kind of nut, you know? And I'm like, this is disgusting. And that cheese smells absolutely horrific. And I can't even pronounce it, so I should never put it near my mouth. That's for sure. But I go, and this guy, he's telling me, this pairs with this perfectly. Like, this one is super bitter, but it pairs perfectly with this super sweet. You, you know, you get the picture. And when I try this, it's like this, anybody seen the movie Ratatouille? Come on, Disney people in the room. It's like colors going through your mind and your mind gets blown, you know, like you get like food drunk. You're like, this is amazing, like incredible. And I, as I was reading through Acts, there's this incredible recipe that doesn't feel like it should go together, but it creates something so mind-blowing. It's something that revolutionizes like the church and the world outside of its walls. Today, I want to talk about that. And if you've got your scripture, I want to go to Acts chapter 9. I want to start in verse 19, and I want to walk through 31. You got your scripture? Acts 9, 19 through 31. Here's what's happened. Remember Chuck? Chuck here today? Chuck, where you at? Are you here? Chuck, hey, bring in the word last week. Anybody here last week to hear Chuck? Just share the word. Chuck, we thank you, man. And your lovely wife, hey, listen, girl, Emily, hey, bring the heat. Emily, anybody, hey, can we just say thank you to Emily for sharing? We thank you guys. Y'all an amazing team. It's like God knew what he was doing when he put y'all together. So Acts 9, 19 through 31, we talked about this guy named Saul who's come to faith in Jesus because Jesus shows up to him, okay? Now, here's what happens right after this guy goes blind. A guy named Ananias comes down lays hands, we see healing happen to Saul, and then immediately following, here's what, here's what goes down. Acts 9, 19 through 31, he's just had scales fall off of his eyes, and it says, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Now, I wanna pause right here, because in this scripture, it doesn't lay out what Paul himself says in Galatians 1. Paul actually tells us what happens right after his eyes get healed. He tells the, the people of, in Galatians, 
When this happened, I didn't rush out to consult with any human being. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia. I went away to a faraway place by myself in the middle of nowhere. And later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to get to know Peter and I stayed with him for 15 days. The reason I wanted to highlight this to us is because powerful obedience is a byproduct of personal intimacy. Powerful obedience is a byproduct of personal intimacy. Listen, listen. When Jesus does what he does for this known world, he paid the price for you to have perfect connection with the Father in heaven. So when Paul says, I didn't go pursue anybody. Jesus showed up to me. It's like he has one of those moments. Anybody have a crazy thing happen to you in your life and you're like, I gotta get away and process this. Anybody? Yeah, for, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I just had to get away by myself. I don't need nobody to tell me what happened. You know what I mean? Don't give me instruction about it. Don't, I don't need your advice or feedback. I need to think. Because Saul's life prior to Jesus is completely in opposition to the one who showed up. So he has this like giant 180 turn. He's like, the life I thought I knew, I know nothing. My, earth, my, my life is unearthed. I gotta get away. He gets away and he continues because I believe here, this is where the place where Jesus really continues to do the work that he started. If anyone in this room feels like they're getting to that place where what I thought I knew, I don't quite know. And maybe you've been seeking so much kind of help from this or that or Tate or, you know, whoever you're looking at, like all the leadership gurus, you're, you're going to try to figure it all out. Get alone with your father in heaven who loves you. He still speaks today. He's alive and Jesus is well. He is not dead. He is alive. And he's still moving today. Jesus always calls someone and redeems what was lost and broken to be the very catalyst that reveals his power and person. Jesus is alive and well, but he uses people to reveal his aliveness and wellness. I want to share with you all the story. Is Bree here? Bree, come Come, come. I just want to, I want to, I want y'all to hear this because Jesus is alive and well. And uh, I believe it's a testimony to the king. Jay likes to call me an hour before church. Thank you for that. <laughs> don't tell them that. Yeah, don't tell them that. So I feel like we, like my little family, I have my husband's Josh, and then we have two little girls, Andy and Layton. They're three years old and eight and 21 months old. So we're busy, but I feel like we, about a month ago, we're walking through this season of just like a challenging season where I feel like the enemy was just like attacking our home, like our marriage, our kids, nothing specifically was happening. It was just like when we were home, it was just so challenging to the point where we were like, we have to get out of the house because it's either kids are throwing tantrums. Josh and I are doing the silent treatment, like just the enemy was having a heyday in our home. And I finally was just like, I would love for our small group to anoint our home and come and pray over our home. So 
we asked our small group to come over and honestly also like praise the Lord that we have the power to do this. Um, we're reminded of Luke 10, 19. It says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Not a little bit of the power, but all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. And so we went over that verse before we got to anoint our home and it was just such a powerful evening. We went through each home or each room in our home and just prayed over it. And it was honestly like exhausting. Like after the night, it was so beautiful and powerful. But after the night, I felt literally depleted of energy. Like I literally felt like I had just gone through battle, like truly. And it was such a beautiful night. But specifically, we'd been having issues with our three-year-old daughter. She just was not sleeping, just absolutely terrified to go to sleep at night. Um, tantrums from like morning till sundown, just totally beside herself, just not like her. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, I just feel like the enemy's having a heyday in her home. And after we anointed our home, she comes home the day after and she's like, mom, I don't want to make you sad anymore. I just want to make you happy. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I just told Josh and I was like, Lord is so real. And then I was taking her to daycare on Friday and she said, Jesus, I saw Jesus in my room. And I was like, oh my gosh, you did? What did he look like? What did he say? I was so excited. And I was, I was like, what did he say? And she said, He's, he was on top of my bed. And he said, I love you. And he said he was going to punch the tiger because her biggest fear is like, the, I don't know, I think Josh showed her Tarzan one time, probably way too young for that. And um, she's terrified of this tiger. So that's like her biggest fear is this tiger. And she said, Jesus told me he was going to take care of that tiger. And she um, always walks to our room in the middle of the night. And she said, he walked with me to your room. And she told me he was wearing white and he had brown hair. She's three. She doesn't know Jesus, like what he looks like. Like we're just in that process of discovering who and what Jesus is. And it was just amazing because it was days after our small group just like anointed our home. And it's just like confirmation that like, this battle is not against flesh and blood. It's yeah. a spiritual battle yeah. that is coming for anything good and holy. And he's coming for your home and your marriage and your children. And you just, it was so special to like have my small group come and anoint my home. And she's just been 10 times better. And like, I truly just feel lighter. It's just was the best experience. That's so awesome. that's all. Awesome. Come on. Come on. Thanks, Bree. One of the things in her story that really sticks out is that Jesus doesn't say, hey, Andy, there's no tiger. He never belittled even a three-year-old. He didn't, he didn't say, you shouldn't, shouldn't think about that. He said, I'll take care of the tiger. Sometimes our fears are so real, but the thing I love about Jesus, he never shames you right where you are. He goes, hey, I'm gonna take care of it. It's not that you shouldn't. I'm right there with you. I got this, trust me. You hear his voice now? Like you hear that? You hear that in your soul? Like it's touching your heart? Like you hear it. He's not shaming you for what you're afraid of. He says, I got it. You don't, you, hey, if you give it to me, you trust me. I got you. Got that tiger, you know? I love that he was on the bunk bed too. God, that's like him. You know? I can see him poke his head. It's like, hey. It's like, oh. He's a funny guy, man. Kids wanted to be around him. 
Jesus is different than many of us have pictured. He's so good. He's so kind. He's amazing. And immediately, like, this is, this is where we get, pick up the part where, like, after Saul has gone away and he's been with Jesus, he's like, now immediately, verse 20, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, no, this is for real. He is indeed the son of God. This, like, the guy's real. And all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? Hey, isn't this the guy who used to be, you know? That's why I pray that everybody in this room begins to experience Jesus in such a way that all of our friends go, isn't, isn't, that, the, isn't that her that was, she was doing this yesterday, but today is so different. Like, what happened to her? What happened to him? He was so different at work. He was talking this kind of way and something happened to him. Marty, I think about you, not that you were so far that way, but I remember the guys at your work saying, I got to come to the place because your life is so different. You're so different, man. Work guys knew it. Just different. (laughs) This is what happens when you encounter Jesus. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus indeed was the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and and night at the city gate so they could murder him. (laughs) But Saul was told about their plot, so during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. I'm telling you, the church has always been filled with holy rebels. They were breaking out walls to lower this guy. Be like, not today. God gave them insight and wisdom to know what needed to be done. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem from that place, being let down in a large basket, I would have loved to see that. I ain't getting in a basket. You're not lowering me off a wall in a basket. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. Isn't that interesting? We're, hey, we're told not to be afraid, but the church was afraid to meet with this guy, you know? They were in process too, everybody. Come on now. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told him how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him as well. This guy is on that murder bus right here. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea, sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. And here's where I want to focus. That's a lot of reading. Okay, sorry. I hope I read entertaining enough for you to keep in it. The church, listen, listen. The the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It also grew in number. That word edified is to be built up or made stronger. They were built up or made stronger by living in living in. That means like there's an experience where they continue to live in a process 
with two things at play that seem very strange. Anybody see the strangeness? The fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It really, to me, when I read that off, like, off my little tiny mind, I really get the picture of two very different elements. Like one being sweet and fruity and the other one feeling a little bit more bitter. I believe, I believe there is such an encouragement away from the perfect balance of these two elements coming together and pairing to make a mind-blowing experience. We're encouraged into radical comfort or we're encouraged into radical fear. Spurgeon said this in the commentary of Psalm 20 or Psalm 2:11 which says serve the Lord with fear. I read this a couple weeks ago and rejoice with trembling. It sounds so strange. You're telling me to rejoice in trembling like to be joyful yet serve with fear. What does this mean? See, I mean, uh, Spurgeon said, if you remove rejoicing from fear, you get slavery. If you remove fear from rejoicing, you can get lawlessness. Is that up there? I'm gonna read that again because I think we really need to hear this. If you remove rejoicing from fear, you get slavery. If you remove fear from rejoicing, you get lawlessness. Now, this word fear in the Greek is like literal phobos. It's where we get our word phobia from. But what this doesn't mean, if we know the truth about Jesus, this does not mean that we are invited into a spirit of fear where we expect judgment from our father because judgment was placed upon his son, Jesus. So judgment is not what we are in fear of. We are in fear by awing him like you are above and revered but that because of who you are you don't cause me to shrink back you cause me to stand up you cause you cause me to move forward not to move backward if you really fear the lord then you will be in comfort if you are really comforted then you will experience a reason to have great and wonder and awe both are hand in hand, but cannot be separated. If you try to separate the two, you will find that you don't have the one. They go hand in hand. Does that make sense? I pray that that's a blessing to you. I feel like a lot of my life, I get out of balance. And uh, I, I, want, I want to give a practical thing because I find in my life at times, I feel like, I kind of get in this place in my own way of thinking where God has probably hacked off at me. And because when, I, when I grab that thought and I take it captive, I come back to the truth. Why am I feeling this way? Because I have not stepped in and, and just really recognized the comfort that he is. Or when I walk away from just the awe of him and I go, man, God's got this, like, and I kind of arrogantly move forward and he stops me and, and I realize that I'm not in awe of my father. 
I'm in awe of the people around me and what they think of me, so I'm moving forward brashly. This is my own personal experience. I'm just telling on myself, okay? But when I begin to feel those things, I let it be a warning sign to me not to run into shame of how could you get here? How could you feel this way? But I take those thoughts captive and I do work right there. I invite you to begin doing work right there instead of letting the enemy berate you and accuse you and say, you have no hope here. Look at who you are. Look at what's happening to you. This is all your fault. You've got a father who desires to comfort you right where you are. And then as he comforts you, you will find in that place a great sense of awe and wonder because he's better than you thought he was. Scripture says it also grew in numbers. It grew in numbers. Listen to this. Disciples make disciples. Disciples make disciples. All of us are making disciples. Right where you are today, your life is producing a disciple. But from your intimacy, you are reproducing. From your intimacy, you reproduce. What you are most intimate with, your life is reproducing in others that are following you. What kind of disciple you are making depends upon what you are intimate with. Intimacy is key. Spend time with your father. Let him lead you and you'll have something to give life to others. I've heard many people preach this passage and they'll say, we got to get moving. I mean, the numbers are shrinking in here. We got a couple empty seats. And if you guys were making disciples, our numbers would grow, you know? So guess what? Jesus made disciples. You go make disciples. And it's like, I, I leave and I'm like, what do I do? Should I just go like, what do I do? And I don't know about you, but I've tried to go help somebody and make disciples when I'm not walking intimately with my father. I've tried and I've found that I frustrate people because honestly, I'm internally frustrated. Anybody? And I frustrate them because I'm trying to serve out of slavery versus experiencing the comfort of my father. So I walk them into the same slavery that I'm experiencing. There's no comfort in my heart. And then people are like, gum, I feel like you're slave driving me. Does that make sense? I invite you into intimacy because he's invited us into intimacy. And Jesus tells a story that I want to sum all this up. If I pray all this makes sense to you, I don't know. If not, it looks like this. I, I, it's fine. <laughs> Whatever, I don't know. Jesus told this story though, and I think it captures everything I'm talking about. And I just pray this ministers to you because I believe it's every person in this room. It describes some 
each one of us, right where we are or where we've been. Gosh, I can't leave that. Can I read one verse to you? I'm sorry. I just have to do it. I skipped something. Luke 15, 7, Jesus said this. He said, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. I thought about this. This hit me so hard. Like he says, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who turns to God than 99 who've gathered and haven't strayed away. Now listen here. He's not saying that he doesn't have rejoice over the 99 who've gathered. I'm not speaking that, but he says there's more joy. There's an explosion in heaven because one has turned and come back to God. Hey guys, let's throw a party. And if we're experiencing the awe and the comfort of God, I promise you, this is what our hearts are about. And I just pray you experience Jesus in a way where your heart gets comforted right where you are, but it moves you to maybe where you're not quite yet there. Lord, capture our hearts with awe and wonder. We thank you that you threw a party for each one of us. I thank you for throwing a party for me. Then Jesus continues in that same chapter and he tells a story about two sons. The one son had deep, deep comfort of his father, but he no longer awed his father. He awed what was outside of his father's house and he wondered what could be out there. He desired to worship and serve outside of his father's house. So he said, dad, I appreciate everything you've done. I'm really comforted by you, but I'd really love for you to give me some of my inheritance. And he said, I'm gonna peace out with what you owe me. Come on, pay up, daddy. The, the father graciously looks at his son, gives him his inheritance and lets him walk. The scripture says that he blows all the money on wild living, like everything that he desired to all, he went after. He spent everything he had. It said a great famine hits the land. And here's what is so mind-blowing to me in verse 17. It says, when he finally came to his senses, it's not, listen, listen. It's not that he said, I'm starving and I'm going to die. I have no other option because he was seeking out all the options. Literally came to his senses. You know what he realized? My dad's awesome. My dad was so comforting to me. My dad was awesome. In fact, he's so awesome Maybe I won't even need his comfort. I would be a slave if he would take me back because he's that awesome. Come on. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and he kissed him. Are you coming to your senses? Are you realizing that your intimacies aren't producing life, but maybe death? Oh, come and taste and see 
that the Lord is good. The Father's watching for you. If you're here, I think you've already stepped toward him. He's running now, by the way. But there's another son living as a slave, forgetting the comforts of his sonship. The scripture says that he was out in the field working when the son showed up. He's working hard. I'm working for you, dad. And this son sees what's happened and says he's angry. He's back. He's angry at the rejoicing of that one because he's wasted his life. Why are we spending time on him? We got work to do and this guy has left me out to dry. I've been doing all the work for him. But listen to what the father says in response to this son. Oh, the son says this, all these years I've slaved for you. Listen to that. All these years I've slaved for you, dad. Never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me one young goat to feast with my friends. I don't know what kind of party a goat roast is though. You know what I mean? (laughs) I don't know. That's a funny word for America. Hey, you didn't even give me a goat. Dad, you're throwing the wildest party for this guy and you didn't give me nothing. Father's response. If you've been slaving for your father, you feel no comfort from him. If you've you've been slaving away, you've been working your heart out and you're not comforted, you wonder where he is. This is what he says. His father said to him, look, dear son, (laughs) dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. He was slaving Yet he forgot the comfort. It wasn't about the father. It was about his work. Dear son or daughter, working so hard with no comfort, do you know all that he has he's offered to you? Not just the work, but the comfort of his abiding presence. He wants to comfort you. I believe he's caused me to weep before you to show show you his face for you. Like, you don't know. All that I have is yours. I'm ready to extend anything you ask, but you ask nothing because you think you can do everything. I would do it for you. What do you want? He's here for you too. I just invite you today, if you, If you have no awe of God, run to him today. Let today be the day you run to him. You've run to the world long enough and it's not ever satisfied you. Stop believing that it will. Run to your father today. Begin walking home. Just turn around. The long distance he's running to you. I want to invite you who are slaving for God today to receive the comfort of your father who's willing to meet you right where you are. All that he has is exactly what Bree said. All that he has, he wants to give to you. Would you trust your father? He's that kind of good. 
And then we'll live in a place of the perfect recipe of awe and wonder and comfort with our Father as we know Him and walk with Him. Right where you are, do what He's asked you to do. The conviction on your heart, how you need to move, do not neglect that. Move in that way. If you need to make right with somebody, make right with them in this room. Move toward your Father's house. Let him instruct you. Those words will be life and life abundant. It will actually bring you the comfort you're looking for. He doesn't want to hurt your life. He wants to give you life. Would you come to your father? He loves you and he's waiting for you. He's watching. He's watching. Come to him now. Just spend time.